Good morning, family. Today we're going to read all of chapter 7. In you do I take refuge. O Lord my God, in you do I take refuge. Save me from all my pursuers and deliver me, lest, like a lion, they tear my soul apart, rending it in pieces with none to deliver. O Lord my God, if I have done this, if there is wrong in my hands, if I have repaid my friend with evil or plundered my enemy without cause, let the enemy pursue my soul and overtake it and let him trample my life to the ground and lay my glory in the dust. Arise, O Lord, in your anger. Lift yourself up against the fury of my enemies. Awake for me. You have appointed a judgment. Let the assembly of the peoples be gathered about you. Over it, return on high. The Lord judges the peoples. Judge me, O Lord, according to my righteousness and according to the integrity that is in me. O let the evil of the wicked come to an end, and may you establish the righteous, you who test the minds and hearts. O righteous God, my shield is with God, who saves the upright in heart. God is a righteous judge and a God who feels indignation every day. If a man does not repent, God will wet his sword. He has bent and readied his bow. He has prepared for him his deadly weapons, making his arrows fiery shafts. Behold, the wicked man conceives evil and is pregnant with mischief and gives birth to lies. He makes a pit digging it out and falls into the hole that he has made. His mischief returns upon his own head and on his own skull his violence descends. I will give to the Lord the thanks due to his righteousness, and I will sing praise to the name of the Lord, the Most High. This is God's word. All glory, honor, and praise be to God. Near is the great day of the Lord, near and coming very quickly. Listen the day of the Lord. In it, the warrior cries out bitterly, a day of wrath is that day, a day of trouble and distress, a day of destruction and desolation, a day of darkness and gloom, a day of clouds and thick darkness, a day of trumpet and battle cry against the fortified cities and the high corner towers. 
I will bring distress on men so that they will walk like the blind because they have sinned against the Lord and their blood will be poured out like dust and their flesh like dung. Neither their silver nor their gold will be able to deliver them on the day of the Lord's wrath and on all the earth will be devoured in the fire of his jealousy for he will make a complete end, indeed a terrifying one of all the inhabitants of the earth. This is the words of the prophet Zephaniah. Thanks be to God for these words. This is what I thought about when I thought about this particular part of Psalm 7. As we work through verses 11 and 17, as we bring to the end, it is a passage of judgment, a passage of near and far prophecy for both Judah and for the world. A prophecy that Zephaniah has given us that tells us about the fate of the unrighteous, of the sinner, of the wicked, of the unrepentant. David speaks, will speak clearly about these people here as we continue in Psalm 7. This psalm, which was introduced as a shigion, a psalm of praise, of one of which he sang when he's being pursued by Cush of Benjamite. We spoke last week about how the Benjamites were a particular problem for David, that he seemed to run into all problems with them, not necessarily brought about by himself. We mentioned last week that Saul himself was a Benjamite. We talked about Shemiel, who was a Benjamite, who cursed him. We talked about Shemai, who was a Benjamite, who led a revolt against him. We talked about how David felt pursued by these people that were falsely accusing him last week. Ones that were saying things about him that not only were false about himself, but brought into question the kingdom of which he was over, the fact that God had chosen him. And we ended last week on verse 10 where it says, My shield is with God who saves the upright in heart. My shield is with God who saves the upright in heart. And David shifts. He has called out for judgment against those who are falsely accusing him. He has praised the Lord in doing all of this. And now he is shifting outwardly, making bold statements about the Lord in his ways, about the sovereign God in his ways. He says in verse 11, God is a righteous judge. God is a righteous judge. He is a right judge, the only true judge, the only judge that there is to sift through the hearts and minds of men to find what is true and what is not. He is the only one that sits there in the judgment seat for us. Ecclesiastes 3.17 would tell us the following words about God as judge. If we would turn there, or take a moment and turn there, right past Proverbs, you will find this, 3.17. It says, I said to myself, Solomon, interestingly enough, David's son, said, God will judge both the righteous man and the wicked, for there is a time for every matter and for every deed is there. Verse 12 of of Ecclesiastes, or chapter 12 of Ecclesiastes, verse 14, tells us this, For God will bring every act to judgment, 
everything which is hidden, whether it is good or evil. And finally, in Romans chapter 2, verse 16, the Apostle Paul speaking. He says these words, mirroring things that we just heard. On that day, according to my gospel, God will judge the secrets of of men through Christ Jesus. God is a righteous judge. God is the one in whom we all will answer to, whether we believe in Him or not. Whether we know Jesus as our Lord and Savior or not, we still must answer When we stand before that judgment seat, we will either be judged by how we're found in Jesus or not found in Jesus at all. You see, God is a righteous and the the only right judge. And it says in verse 11 of Psalm 7, as it continues, and He is a God who has indignation every day. He is a God who is enraged with the wicked every day. He is a God who does not show satisfaction with the wicked at any time. You see, what this verse is saying, much like it says in Psalm 5 verse 11, it tells us that the God is angry with the wicked at all times. You see, the prayers of the wicked the prayers of the unrighteous, the prayers of those who are not found in Jesus are not heard by the Lord. The Scripture clearly tells us that. I would even go so far as to say that the idea that everybody is a believer in God in a foxhole is not true. Unless you are found in the Lord Jesus, you are found nowhere except in the ire of God's wrath. It clearly says that God has indignation with the wicked Every single day. Those that seek ways that are not His ways, He is enraged with. It is only by His grace that they find themselves in the eye of that storm, in the calm that they are not being judged at that moment. We must keep this in view. The similar term is used in Daniel chapter 11. If you would turn there, a book we don't go to a whole lot, a book of prophecy about end times uh, that we see in Daniel chapter 11. It says these words in verse 30. It says the same term is used for indignation. It says for the ships of Kittim will come against him. Therefore, he will be disheartened and will return and become enraged at the holy covenant and take action. So he will come back and show regard for those who forsake his holy covenant, for those that are against his holy covenant. Malachi chapter 1 verse 4 says a similar thing about this to give us the idea of what it means to be for God to be enraged, to be against these things. It says in verse 4 of Malachi, though Edom says we have been beaten down, but we will return and build up the ruins. Thus says the Lord of hosts. They may build, but I will tear down. The men will call them the wicked territory, the people towards which the Lord is enraged or indignant forever. David's words here in Psalm chapter 7, a a warning passage 
that those that are found outside God are will be judged by this same righteous and holy God by the actions that they do. If they are not found within the Lord, if they are not found by saved by the Lord Jesus Christ, they will find themselves before a righteous and a holy God with nothing to prop them up, with nothing to cover them, with no salvation for them. Because God has indignation every day. God is angry with the wicked every single day. Those who transgress transgress against the Lord will find themselves in a place of judgment in which they will not be able to stand. They must have a Savior because they cannot save themselves. David quickly moves in verse 12 of Psalm chapter 7. He says, if a man does not repent, and we will stop there and camp on that for a moment. If a man does not repent, if a man does not turn away from his ways and turn back to the Lord, if a man does not seek shelter in the refuge of God, remember what David said last week. He said, I will find my refuge there. He said in Psalm 3, that the Lord is a shield about me. That's where I find my refuge. You'll find it throughout the Psalms where David talks about how God is his fortress, how God is his refuge, how God sets him upon high places, how God protects him, so forth and so on. That means that the person that is not found by the Lord is unprotected, is unsheltered, is unshielded. Even though for a certain period of time they might feel comfortable in their wicked and unrighteous ways, in their unrepentant ways. Asaph, the priest, would tell us in Psalm 73 when he gazed out upon the city, when he looked out upon the the ways of the wicked, that he was jealous, in Psalm 73 it tells us, that he looked upon the ease of their lives, how they seemingly would do whatever they wanted to do, how they would grow large and fat in whatever they, uh, whatever they sought after. How violence was on their minds and there was no seeming judgment that came upon them. That there was no repentance for them. That there was nothing that was seemingly that would show that they would be judged. That Asaph, in that case, when you would see him, he would be standing upon the walls of the temple on the large stones of the temple and looking out upon the city. And he would see the ways of the wicked and he would say, why do I follow the Lord? They seemingly do everything wrong and prosper. And I do everything right. And I might be living in poverty. Or I might be living assailed on every side by my enemies. When he looked out upon the city of those unrepentant ones that were there, those ones that seemingly had no regard for the Lord, that seemingly had no regard for the truth that was found in God, the God that he served, he didn't know what to do. It says in Psalm 73, verse 8, they mock and they wickedly speak of oppression. They speak from on high. They have set their mouth against the heavens and their tongue 
parades through the earth. These were the unrighteous, like David speaks of. And Asaph the priest had difficulty in dealing with this. He had difficulty in considering what this all meant when the seemingly the ones who follow the Lord, the ones who follow the commandments, the ones who follow the law, seemingly get nowhere. David is talking about those similar people when he says, in Psalm 7, when he says, if a man does not repent, if a man does not repent, even if a man doesn't see what the Lord is doing at that moment, if a man does not repent, it says here, David using this very illustrative language, this painting a picture for us, some things that they could understand so that the person that was reading this could say, I know exactly what David is trying to convey here. It says here, if a man does not repent, if a man does not turn back to the Lord, if a man does not turn away from his ways and turn towards God, that man will stand in this place. That man now has the focus of the Lord at that moment. And it says that he, that Yahweh, the Lord, will sharpen his sword. In the ESV it says to wet the sword. Again, that's another term for sharpening the sword. To make it like a razor. To make it prepared for war. To make it prepared for battle. A sword that is prepared not to wound, but a sword that is meant to kill and destroy. It says, this is what the Lord is doing when he looks upon the wicked, when he looks upon the unrighteous, when he looks upon the unrepentant, when he looks upon the God-haters. This is what is happening with the Lord. It says he is sharpening, sharpening his sword. He will sharpen his sword. In the bow he has, this weapon of war has been bent and strung. That this weapon of war is now prepared. He is, the Lord himself is prepared to go into battle against all those who are God-haters. All those who sully his people. All those who make mockery of his commandments and his law. It says in verse 13, I want to keep these 12 and 13 together. It says, not only has the sword been sharpened, not only has the bow been strung, has been bent and strung as they... As they get it ready, as the warriors prepare for this, it says in verse 13, he has also prepared for himself deadly weapons. He makes his arrows fiery shafts. These are not weapons meant to wound again. These are weapons meant to kill and destroy, to take out of the presence, to annihilate, to get rid of. We have seen the Lord's actions before against the unrepentant people, against the Canaanites, for example. We have seen how entire societies, he says, they are so horrid that we cannot, I cannot let them exist any, any longer. People have many questions about that. How can God destroy a culture like that? And I would say to you, why wouldn't God destroy a culture like that? A culture that sacrificed children on the, the burnt arms of Molech alive. What happens when a culture like that not only survives for a thousand years, but survives for 10,000 years? How much more evil do they get? 
You see, God's wrath has only stayed for a period of time. And that's what the warning is here. If you do not repent, if the man does not repent, the Lord's is now. The sword is sharpened. The bow is bent and strung. The arrows are now on fire. The arrows that will penetrate through the armor and consume the person behind it. The arrows of fire that will not be able to be put out, but will consume the person that they strike. The unrepentant ones who do not turn back towards the Lord. These are the ones who, the, who God has aimed these weapons at. That his arm is back behind him, ready to swing that, air, that sword like a, like a scythe through the, through the wheat fields and cut down the tares. This is the description of the Lord that David is giving us. He is painting a picture for those who will read this psalm of how they actually stand before the Lord. Even if at that, that moment they don't feel any of the Lord's judgment, this is what will befell them. This is what is coming their way. And it will not relent unless they repent. For those people, we'll look at Proverbs chapter 11, verse 19. Proverbs 11, 19. He who is steadfast in righteousness will attain to life. He who is steadfast in righteousness will attain to life. And he who pursues evil will bring about his own death. He who pursues evil will bring about his own death. Don't miss this. The unrepentant are fully responsible for what they do. They are fully responsible for their actions. They are fully responsible for the evil that they commit. It's not in the notes. Uh, and just a, just a little aside, we might not get to all the scripture that I have that is up there, and that's okay, that's in your bulletin. Feel free to look at those later on. Uh, but this is not there, but always a good reminder. Uh, noted in your Bible, Isaiah, Isaiah chapter 5, we see so much of this today. We see so much of this of the uh, of the unrepentant nature of those that seek out wickedness in this life. Uh, we cannot turn on the TV without seeing um, it it, uh, it happening. We cannot turn on the TV without see people claiming that five year olds have the ability to quote unquote choose their gender or to choose to have puberty blockers or things like this. I mean, this is pure evil. There is nothing redemptive about that. You must pay, you must, we should be praying for these people that are in our government that promote these things that they will be saved and stop this madness because it says in Isaiah chapter 5 verse 20, woe to those who call evil good and good evil. Who substitutes darkness for light and light for darkness? Who substitute bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter? Woe to those who are wise in their own eyes and clever in their own sight. Woe to those who are heroes in drinking wine and valiant men in mixing strong drink who justify the wicked for a bribe and who take away the rights of the ones who are in the right. That last verse there is the exact opposite of God as a righteous judge. 
Verse 23 tells us what an unrighteous judge looks like. God is the righteous judge who judges the hearts of men, who judges their actions. He is not like the unrighteous one here who would call evil good and good evil. If we were to turn to Mark, and let's take a moment and do that, Mark chapter 9, verse 43, for these people, the one who God has his bow bent and strung in the fiery shafts are waiting to be slung at them, that the sword is, is razor sharp, ready to cut down the person who stands firm in their own selves. Jesus tells us in Mark chapter 9, something we should keep in mind. He says in Mark chapter 9, verse 43, If your hand causes you to stumble, cut it off. It is better for you to enter life crippled than having two hands to go into hell into unquenchable fire where their worm does not die and their fire and the fire is not quenched. If your foot causes you to stumble, cut it off. It is better for you to enter life lame than having your two feet to be cast into hell where their worm does not die and the fire is not quenched. If your eye causes you to stumble, throw it out. It is better for you to enter the kingdom of God with one eye than having two eyes to be cast into hell where their worm does not die and the fire is not quenched. David is calling men to repent to turn back to the Lord. He is warning them that the God, God's judgment is just on the horizon, just over the hilltop, waiting to be unleashed upon them. He is calling them to that repentance, to turn away from their wicked ways and turn back to the Lord. He is warning them that this is what will befall them, that the only words that David can use is that of pure, violent death is what will occur to them. If a man does not repent. He now turns from verse 13 where he talks about how the Lord's wrath, although stayed for the moment, is prepared at a moment to go against that person. And now in verse 14, he is now talking about the responsibility of that person, that unrighteous, that wicked person. He says in verse 14, Behold, look, stop, pause, take notice, pay careful attention to what I'm going to say. Don't miss what I'm going to say. Behold, and look, and see and understand that this person, the unrepentant one, that he travails, he travels with wickedness. He conceives mischief and brings forth falsehood. That this person, that we could read this as not only does he bring forth that falsehood in and of himself, but he is pregnant with that falsehood that he will give birth to what comes from that, to all the problems and the indignation and the wickedness that come from that falsehood. Much like a person that claims that evil is good and good is evil. 
that it will continue to build as they give forth to this child of evilness, that it will continue to grow and bring more and more unrighteousness and evilness and wickedness upon them. That as they work in these pathways, that they work in these things, that it is only to their own harm, and they are fully responsible for it. Notice how David says here, it is there, he's the one that does it. This person is the one that conceives it. This is, the person is the one who has full ownership of it. The person is the one who will have to answer for it. Unless they have a Savior. Turn with me, if you would, to Job chapter 15, verse 35. Job chapter 15, verse 35. They conceive mischief and bring forth iniquity, and their mind prepares deception. James chapter 1, verse 15. You're very probably very familiar with this. We'll start in 14. But each one is tempted when he is carried away and enticed by his own lust. Then when lust has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And then when sin is accomplished, it brings forth death. That's what David is saying. You continue on this pathway unrepentantly. Death is what befalls you. Now, I'm going to go to a passage in Isaiah, which I just, just the imagery, I just, ah, is just so good. Isaiah chapter 59. And I want you to consider these words that are being said by the prophet Isaiah with regard to this. Uh, remember that why is there so much scripture? Because uh, uh, scripture explains scripture. Right? There is, uh, there is uh, nothing uh, uh, that is against itself in Scripture. Uh, what we do, what we find is confirmation of what even David says in a few short words here in Isaiah chapter 59. Uh, we're going to start in one. It's probably three through five is up there. We're going to start in one. It's just too good. And it's, again, it's behold, the Lord's hand is not so short that it cannot save. Circle it, asterisk it, bracket it, whatever you need to do, remember that. Nor is his ear so dull that he cannot hear. We would say that David is calling them out to repent. You must hear, you must see, because the Lord will save. But if you continue on your path, death is what befalls you. It says in verse 2 of Isaiah, But your iniquities have made a separation between you and your God, and your sins have hidden his face from you so that he does not hear. Now remember, we want this idea that, that because they are, they are fully in, engaged in their sin, that is, the eye of the God's anger and wrath is upon them, but He cannot hear what they're saying because the prayers of the wicked are not heard. Verse 3, For your hands are defiled with blood and your fingers with iniquity. Your lips have spoken falsehood. Your tongue mutters wickedness. No one sues righteously. No one pleads honestly. They trust in confusion and speak lies. They conceive mischief and bring forth iniquity. And verse 5, they hatch adder's eggs and weave spider's webs. He who eats their eggs dies 
and from that which is crushed, a snake brings forth. Their webs will not become clothing, nor will they cover themselves with their works. Their works are works of iniquity, and an act of violence is in their hands. Their feet run to evil, and they hasten to shed innocent blood. Their thoughts are thoughts of iniquity, devastation, and destruction are in their highways. You can continue on in your own reading there, and I encourage you to do so, but this is the world in which we live in too. People dreaming up various forms of iniquity and wickedness and telling us that it is good. And I'm here to tell you that it is not good. For those who travel on those highways are hatching the adder's eggs, are weaving the spider's webs that will catch them and destroy them. As David said, we must warn them to repent, to turn away from these falsehoods and these things that they weave amongst themselves, these vipers in which they, they gather them up and they hatch them and they, these, deadly, these deadly poisonous snakes that will not only kill them, but those of the people around them that follow their ways. If a man does not repent, if a man does not repent, pregnant with mischief, birthing forth falsehood. Verse 15 of Psalm chapter 7, He has dug a pit and hollowed it out. He has dug a pit and hollowed it out. This person who who just brings forth more and more wickedness, more and more anti-God behavior, more God-hatred, uh, more of tearing down the ideas of, of the goodness of God's law. God who said that when you would follow my commandments and my law, that you will flourish. And not only will you flourish, but the people around you will flourish because of my work through you. Because they will look upon you and say, what a sovereign God they follow. What a creator that they follow. Look at how they act towards their God and worship Him because remember, today is an act of worship of the Lord. Not for what you get out of it, but a worship of the Lord is what we are doing today. When we proclaim His Word, we proclaim our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, we proclaim the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, all acts of worship for the Lord. But this person... They've dug a pit. They have hollowed out this pit. They have creating a deeper and deeper hole. I couldn't help when I read this passage but think to myself of Job again in Job chapter 28 where men have sought wisdom and if you were to read, and we don't have enough time, 28 through uh, 1 through 12, I'll just, uh, I'm just going to dovetail in a little bit on this. The search for wisdom and could not find it. A man puts an end to darkness. He seeks underneath the rocks. It says the rock in gloom and deep shadows. In verse 4, he sinks a shaft far from habitation, forgotten by the foot. They hang and swing to and fro. They search for these things, this wisdom underneath the ground, right? 
In verse 12 it says, but where can wisdom be found? Where is the place of understanding? Verse 13, man does not know its value, nor is it found in the land of the living. The same for this person that hollows out this pit of their own mischief, seeking their own ways, seeking to be wise in their own eyes, but in turn being fools. In hearts that become more and more hardened, it says at the end of verse 15, and has fallen into the hole which he has made. That thing that he sought out, that he thought would sustain the evilness that he sought with his own heart, the wickedness as he turned away from the Lord, the unrighteous behavior that he had, the unrepentantness of his life. He has fallen in the hole. He has dug a pit and he has fallen inside of it. Proverbs 26, 27. Ecclesiastes 10, verses 8 through 9 would say a similar thing. We can almost get the image of the person sinking the shaft into the earth, seeking out something in the wrong place, in the wrong way. And he digs so far that he looks up and all he can see is the walls around him. That any light of the Son of God has been blocked out. And at a moment's notice that the walls of that pit will collapse around him and cover him and destroy him. You see in verse 15 that he has dug that pit. He has fallen into the hole which he has made. Verse 16, his mischief will return upon his own head. And his violence will descend upon his own pate or upon his head. That this is what happens uh, to the person who seeks out the ways that are opposite of what the Lord desires. If a man does not repent, David has spent five verses telling us what their fate is. And all it is, is darkness and death and destruction. Eternal damnation for that person. That if they do not turn away and turn back to the Lord. It's fascinating how David was calling out and praising the Lord, then asking for judgment upon his enemies. And now David has given us these verses that tell us the fate of all those who seek to do the opposite of the Lord. Malachi chapter 2, verses 3 and 5 tells us the fate of those people also. Malachi chapter 2, verses 3 and 5. The last, uh, the last prophet before the 400 or so years of silence before John the Baptist comes. Malachi chapter 2, verses 3 and 5. Again with behold, this is the Lord speaking. It's about the discipline to the false priests. Uh, the priests that were making mockery of the, of the Lord's temple. And it says, Behold, I'm going to rebuke your offspring. I will spread refuse on your faces, that species, the refuse of your feasts, and you will be taken away with it. Then you will know that I have sent this commandment to you, that my covenant may continue with Levi, says the Lord of hosts. My covenant with him was one of life and peace. 
I want you to think about this for a second. To turn away from the Lord is to turn away from the covenant of life and peace. And to turn towards a different covenant of death and destruction. The Lord has offered life and peace to those who follow Him and seek out Him because His arm is not too short to save. For all those who repent, verse 5 again, my covenant with Him was one of life and peace and I gave them to Him as an object of reverence so He revered me and stood in awe of my name. As David would say, repent, turn back to the Lord. Turn back to God, the righteous judge. Turn back to Him and know that He is God. Turn back to His Word and know that they are more uh, sweeter than honey. That His words point to the way of life. That His words for David would be pointing to a coming Messiah that we know as Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. That the Lord's promises of Genesis 3.15 will come to pass. That we would know that. That David trusts in that Lord. The one whose arm is not too short to save. That God is a God of love and a God of salvation. And that turning back to the Lord will lead to that salvation. Verse 17, as David comes to a close on this psalm, it says, I'll read verse 1 of Psalm 7 first, so we can see the bookends of this psalm. Verse 1 of Psalm 7, O Lord my God, in you I have taken refuge. Save me from all who pursue me and deliver me. Now verse 17. I will give thanks to the Lord according to His righteousness and will sing praise to the name of the Lord Most High. Turn with me to Psalm chapter 40, verse 2. Psalm chapter 40, verse 2. I want you to think about these words of what we just read. He, Yahweh, the Lord God, brought me up out of the pit of destruction and out of the miry clay. He set my feet upon a rock, making my footsteps firm. This is what the Lord does. Then, let's see. Turn to Jonah chapter 2, verse 6. This is the middle of Jonah's prayer. I descended to the roots of the mountains. The earth with its bars was around me, around me forever. But you, you have brought up my life from the pit, O Lord my God if one repents. If one repents. If one turns back to the Lord. Zephaniah continued in chapter 2, verses 1 through 3, with these following words. After 
that apocalyptic, those apocalyptic verses I read in the beginning of this message. Zephaniah 2, verses 1 through 3. Gather yourselves together. Yes, gather, O nation without shame. Before the decree takes effect, the day passes like the chaff. Before the burning anger of the Lord comes upon you. Before the day of the Lord anger, Lord's anger comes upon you. Seek the Lord, all you humble of the earth who have carried out his ordinances. Seek righteousness. Seek humility. Perhaps you will be hidden in the day of the Lord's anger. The Lord God has provided for us. He has provided his son for us. The one so that when we stand before that judgment seat, when the, the one who is judging the living and the dead, the quick and the dead, the Lord God, Jesus Christ, but those who are found in him will be covered by his blood, not by the refuse of the wickedness of the life that they chose to follow, but they will be covered by the blood of the Lamb cleansed and clean before the Lord, seen as righteous before a righteous and a holy God. David looked forward to that day of the Messiah coming. He would not see the coming Messiah in his lifetime, but he trusted that the Lord's words were true, and they are. That our Messiah sits at the right hand of the Father right now, interceding for us, praying for us, that because of the work of the Lord in our hearts, we are repentant. We turn back from our sin and turn back to the Lord on a daily, sometimes hourly, sometimes minutely base. That He has given us that ability to turn back to Him and to throw and cast our, our fears and cares upon the Lord God Almighty and to trust in the work and the finished work of our Lord and Savior. That on that last day, that when our dying breath will be, I will give thanks to the Lord according to His righteousness and will sing praise to the name of the Lord Most High. Let us pray. Glorious and Heavenly Father, thank You for this day. Thank You for this Word. Thank You for Your Son and the gift of the Holy Spirit. Thank You for all that You continue to do in our lives. Thank You for the humility that You give us. Thank you for the forgiveness that you give us. Please let us forgive all those that are around us. Please give us hearts of humility to allow us to forgive. Please be with us throughout this day. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. If you would uh, join us.